So I invite you to get a Bible, grab a Bible. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31. And if you looked at the outline all this morning, um, we're not going to get through everything. We're going to finish the outline, Lord, because we're going to move on. We're not going to take uh, five years in Exodus, so I have to get through today. Uh, but uh, there's a lot I want you to, to think about as we think about God speaking into our, in our lives. Now, the message title this morning is Learning the Hard Way, and actually you could look at it two ways. Learning, um, have, you, have you experienced that where sometimes a, a lesson you should have learned before you didn't, and then it, the consequences for that was a little bit more, more challenging because you didn't get it the first time you got it? Well, really, in the, today's message, there's one particular area where Moses had to learn the hard way. Uh, but the other way you could invert this sermon title is really what happens often in the book of Exodus, it is learning that the way is hard. And throughout the book of Exodus, we see that. And we have used at times a, a cliche that, you know, knowing God, walking with God is awesome, but it's not always easy. And, and they learned that then, and we need to keep learning that because we're, we're feeling pretty good when it's more on the awesome side than the hard side. But realize that we live in a world where things don't always go the way that we would want them to go, and the challenges are before us. And so we're going to see that this morning. And uh, uh, that's throughout uh, the scriptures, as people learn the way is hard, or, or they'll learn the hard way. I was reading, just recently was put on my desk, and it was, a Sunday school teacher described how Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. Then little Jimmy interrupted, well, my mommy looked back once while she was driving and she turned into a telephone pole. You know, you know so depending on which way you're looking, if you're not seeing clearly, uh, you know, there's some things that can happen to you. Have you, have you experienced that? And, and so that happens here. And so this morning what we're going to try to see is, is learn some lessons from the Lord. Now I'm going to give a quick, hopefully sometimes I give a long introduction, you know, where we are. What we have is is Moses encountering God. And hopefully you've come to that place in your life where you haven't just heard about God, but you've encountered him. Where God is not just a word that uh, people use as a three-letter description of some supreme being, but he's personal to you, and you've met him. Well, Moses had had a number of life experiences with God probably before he went in the desert land, but, but then God uh, revealed himself in a, in a very intense way. Now, in theological circles, they would say he experienced a theophany, okay, a manifestation of God in a particular way. Or they would say a Christophany, which is the manifestation of, this is how they say it in, in seminary land, the, the pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, which simply means that, that Jesus didn't just come into existence uh, at Christmas. The, the Trinity has always been... Um, who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a different God in the Old Testament and a new one in the New Testament. God has always been together, and so he revealed himself. And it was a rather dramatic experience, as, as you read about it. It was the, uh, the burning bush experience. And not only did that bush burn and not, did not consume itself, but it talked. You know, and now, if you had an experience like that, and then, and then even as he was experiencing it, he was saying, no one's going to believe me that this has happened to me. You know, you, you, you went in the desert and there was this bush that started talking to you. Uh, and, and what are you smoking, right? You know, <laughs> you know there was something burning in your hand. That's, that's why you had that experience. And so, so he said, okay, God, you got to help me out with this. And so he said, oh, oh by the way, uh, you see this staff that you think it's your staff, Moses' staff? It's going to be my staff, the God's staff. And he threw it down and it became a, a, a snake. 
And you see this hand of yours looks pretty good. Stick it in your, in your, in your garment, pull it out, and it was leprous. And now stick it back in, and now it's as white as snow. I mean, no, it was white as snow is when it was leprous. They turned it out and it was healthy. And he said, grab some water, throw on the ground, and that water, H2O now, is blood. He said, oh, I think this would impress people that maybe I encountered something that wasn't just an hallucination. But this experience ends, and sometimes what happens after th- something happens in any time frame, you might be thinking, okay, I, I know that was, it sure seemed to be real, but, but now I'm going to be with other people. So we're, we're going to see this as God prepares him to, to now take this call on his life and, and be what he wanted him to be and to, to lead his people. So Exodus chapter 4, let me turn to that. And uh, let's see what happens as this journey of following God and experiencing God's way out. In many ways, we've entitled this entire series God's Way Out to, to help us realize that there are all kinds of things we get into, sometimes because we've made choices and sometimes people have made choices that affect us. That's true globally. It's true nationally, uh, all kinds of things. And it's, it's also things we get personally into. And, and so w- we often need some help, Right? And so this is really a book talking about how God helps his people, God getting us out of what we're in. So that's God's way out. And so we have Exodus in which Moses is a, is a, a picture of even how Jesus does it for us, and he's going to get his people delivered out of what they're into. And so we pick it up here in, in just verse 18. It says, Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please. Now, we don't know how he said that, but he said, Please. Let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still there. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now, this is thrown in here. and You're wondering, you know, Moses, you've just encountered who? And God was very plain to you. He told you he wanted you to go back and lead his people to freedom. Now, if you got permission from God, do you need any permission from anybody else? No, great answer here. But here's a simple point I want to make, and this is it's, it's kind of a practical point. The call of God does not erase the need for human courtesy. You know, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can be a jerk. I don't know if they, can we say that in church, right? Right? You can be a person that might be right, but the way you do things make it, makes it all what? Wrong. And so what we have here, you're, you're, it, it, this is an amazing experience. I, you know, I probably would have just bypassed it. I'm going, I don't need to talk to anybody else. God just told me. But he stops and speaks to his father-in-law. And it's interesting, uh, at least in the Hebrew, what he says here, shalom, go in peace. Now, now, now we know that, that God has given us some, some principles of how to live. And one of the things we need to realize is that uh, that part of it is to show that, hey, we care about people. Now, sometimes we're going we're gonna to have to do things other people don't want, but we always want to treat them with respect. Ephesians 6, 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, right? So as we think about even Moses, as he's, he's getting instructions from God, it doesn't stop him to have human courtesy and, and, and show respect to his father-in-law. Simple point, just want to begin that way, is that uh, when, when I, you know, I'm not careful in my relationship with other people, you know, I can't just throw that down the God card, right? Well, God's told me to do that. Well, all right, I could still be kind and gracious to people. W- would we agree with that? Okay, so l- let's move on. So what are some lessons we can learn from uh, this experience that Moses gets? So he, he gets, he gets uh, affirmation from his father-in-law, and then it says, And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Verse 19, 
Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses packed up the minivan, took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of of Egypt. And Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And I just like that whole idea. They, they don't describe it now as Moses' staff. It's, it's the staff of God. Because this is, this is going to be what God uses, something very simple, to demonstrate his power going to be infused through just a man that he's called to follow and to lead his people. But what I want to stop here, and some of these points are just right on the surface here, but I think they're, they're worth stopping is that, and looking at, is that God repeats himself to Moses in terms of, at least the idea, I need to encourage you, I need to support you, I need to realize that what I'm calling you to do, I'm going to be with you when that happens. And so as he's thinking about fears, and sometimes Moses would, would, would uh, express his fears to God, but here was a fear that was in one sense unexpressed that was, but was implied. Okay, as we, and we've talked about this before, you know, as we think about things happening, uh, things need to happen according to them happening at the right time, Right? You can, again, you can do the right thing at the wrong time and it's going to be a big mess. And so it's quite possible, though he had experienced God's call in his life, he might say, you know, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to wait a while. Can you, have you ever put off something you know you should do? Come, let's have everybody raise their hand. We were supposed to raise our hands earlier. Okay. We, we've all put off things we know we're supposed to do, right? And so this would have been a logical, made sense. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to send someone there and, and, and the people who wanted to, Take my life. Let's see. You know, I've been here for 40 years. Maybe this is, maybe I want to wait just a little bit longer. And God says, oh, oh, in case that is one of your fears, I'm going to let you know that the Pharaoh, and in terms of how I look at chronologically what all this happens, is Tutmos III was the Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 2 that once he saw and heard that Moses was not his his supporter here, and was really an Israeli that went over to take, uh, take his people out of there. He, he went after him to kill him. And, and what God does here, he says, look, I want you to let you know that the people, the, the, your main enemies are now gone. And now, in terms of how I look at the chronology of, of, of time and, and, and the real history, this is not, this is not myth, is another pharaoh, Amenhotep II, is now on the throne. And so he tells, he tells them, look, you don't need to be afraid to go back. And this one thing that might delay you, I've covered it. And so he packs up his family and he goes. Now, I want you to understand, and this is, this is the challenge for me this morning, is I have all kinds of cross-references in your text. And, and the homework is not only to do your life group homework, which you all do diligently, right? Even if you're not in a life group, you can look up all those verses and answer them. Uh, extra credit, you can look up all the cross-references I have in the outline this morning. But as you think about it, what keeps us from doing things? Now, sometimes we don't use particularly the title of fear, but often that's what it is. I'm concerned what other people might think, or I'm not really sure, I'm not comfortable doing this, I'm not sure I'm gifted, or whatever it might be. And, And so God, in a painstakingly patient way, wants us to know that fear should not govern us, but faith. He said, I've got it covered. It might not always be easy, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Exodus. But I want you to understand that if you do what I say, you'll experience my presence in a way that will deal with your fears. And I want to just say this. When God deals with our fears, it doesn't mean he eliminates them. 
what he does is says, I'm going to give you the capacity, even when you are fearful, still do what I want you to do, right? I uh, just want to read a couple of facts. Joshua 1, 6 through 9. Joshua, and how would you, how would you like to follow Moses as, a, as a, the next leader? I don't know. If I, if I were to lead a nation, I would want someone to be horrible right before I led it. Because this, by way of comparison, I couldn't be that bad, right? You remember the guy you, you replaced? Well, he's replacing Moses. And so God is speaking to Joshua as he goes into the promised land. Be strong and create, courageous. Now, why do you have to tell him to be strong and courageous? Because that moment he wasn't very, what? Strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you will give this people possession of the land which I swore your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Now, what he's saying here is, look, it, you know what you're supposed to do, and I know the tendency of all of our hearts, well, yeah, I'm going to kind of do it, right? He says, that, no, no, you, you need to go right down the path that I'm giving you to, to, live, to live out and lead your people. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth. And that's a strange phrase. I think it said, you, you don't just talk about it. You've you got to really make it part of who you are. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have success. So he said, look, if you really want to accomplish what I have for your life, understand it, put it in your heart, and then, then follow it. And then he says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Kind of familiar theme. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And that's the principle for all of us. Probably none of us here are going to get a, a, a wooden staff and throw it on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake, right? Probably none of us are going to be able to put our hand in our coat and turn it out. It's going to be left. We're turn it back in. It's going to become, you know, totally healthy again. We're not going to be able to throw water on the ground and, and turn it into blood. But we can claim the promise that he gave every single person who followed him. I will go with you, right? I love that verse in 2 Timothy 1.7. Um, God's not giving you a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We are thinking clearly in our relationship with God. We've learned that lesson. No matter what's going on in our emotions, and to a certain degree, the, the emotion of fear we, we, we can't eliminate. It's, it's going to happen. But what we can say by faith, I'm not going to let that fear keep me from doing and being what, what God wants me to be. I'll take that next step of faith. I'll show courage in the midst of fear. I'll realize it's not just my strength, it's God's strength. And by the way, no matter what the outcome is, if I'm doing God's will, I, I, I know that's the best place to be, right? So, a couple lessons. Number one is, uh, you know, it, it, it's always good to be courteous, to be graceful, to be merciful, to be kind to people around you. You know, so, you know, Christians, we, we, are, we are not given that get out of jail, you can be a jerk card, right? Now, do we ever read about jerks who are Christians in the media? Okay, let's just say, that, that's not from God, right? I mean, <laughs> Moses went back to his dad, uh, father-in-law and said, can I go? Go in peace. Secondly, as we think about it, that God does want to deal with our fears. We can be honest with him about that. And then he's going to say, look, I'm going to go with you. Your, your, your job, my job, is to know what he wants me to do and to be in my own personal life and, and, and whatever he wants me to do by way of reaching out to others and, and then be faithful to it. And he's, he'll be with me. 
Thirdly, and really this is, this is an amazing passage that I almost, I almost want to just spend all our time on. But look at, look at uh, verses 21 um, through 23. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let his people go. I, I really could have used that in the last point. Because one of the ways of making sure our fears don't control us is not having unrealistic expectations, Right? When we think everything is going to go smoothly and it doesn't, and this particularly, let's say we, we were really spiritual about it and we prayed about it before it happened, right? And it doesn't happen the way we think it's going to happen. Who do we blame? You know, we blame God, right? God, I prayed about it. Why did it happen exactly this way? And, and so I think he dealt with Moses' fear here, particularly in that he said, oh, oh by the way, you, when you go there, I mean, Pharaoh initially is not going to what? He's not going to listen to you. He was preparing him for what was going to happen. He was going to tell you, it's not going to be easy. Learn, learn the way is going to be hard, right? But then he goes on, and, th- and then he says some strange things here. He says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God still speaking, thus says the Lord. So I want you to play the God card here. I don't say, this is not coming from me. This is coming from our God. Israel is my son. Now, that's strange for us in this day, right? If we were to ask you, who is God the Father's son? This is not a trick question. You would say, Jesus, Jesus, right? That's the Jesus answer, right? But he says, Israel is my son. So it's it's like what they call the collective singular. A whole group of people, millions of them. They are my son. Well, this is strange. And then he says, my firstborn. And you're thinking, you know, and we're going to see that passage. You know who in the scriptures, in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Colossians, you should be able to get this one. It's the one you should always answer to my questions. Who was referred to as the firstborn in scripture? Jesus. Now he's called Israel, not only my son, but he's also called them his firstborn. And you go, oh my goodness, what is, what is he saying? So I said to you, let my son Israel go that he may serve me and that you may, and that you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son. He's talking to Pharaoh now, your firstborn. Now, this is the sections of scripture and there are plenty of them for me where, um, you know, not only do I need to, and to read and appreciate what's right there, and I think, uh, I think no, I do know, but Mark started the service reading a passage in Psalms, and that was Psalm 34 is pretty straightforward. This one, you go, what in the world are you talking about, right? And, and, and so I, wanna, I want you very simple point, because it's, it really is all about Jesus, and when we look at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we need to see that, that Jesus is throughout the pages here. And Jesus did that in, in Luke chapter 24 when they were, they, they were just, even after the resurrection, they were confused and saying, I, I, I can't get this figured out. And so he went back throughout the Old Testament and preached to them Jesus and taught them about Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah that was to come. And so what we underneath, a lesson we need to understand, it really is all about Jesus and being in God's family. In, in some ways, what I want to say here is that there are all kinds of um, 
moral principles. There, there are all kinds of good devotional thoughts in this book. There, there are all kinds of things that if you apply this, it'll make your life more productive and, and meaningful. There's so many things here, principles of life, and, and, and God has that for us. But if somehow we do all of that, it's like a, a, a big, long self-help book, right? This is more than just a self-help book. This is a book where we encounter the living God who then tells us how to live our life out through him. Does that make sense? So it really is about, all about Jesus being his family. And so what we have here is, is, that, is that God is, is, is using language to such a degree. He says, I, I want to lift up what I'm doing with people. And that, that will now picture how that happens because we're dealing with my son, which this is brought at my people who are firstborn, and that pictures the one who is to come who is my son, the firstborn. Okay, and you're, you're saying, well, how, how does that work? Well, let me throw out a couple of things. Um, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, this is, this is the one you could use. It's, it's the cross-reference to the section in, in Matthew 2. When, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, he's referring to Israel there, but there's, there is a double meaning here. In, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what he had spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And, you know, we don't always remember all the details of the Christmas story, but remember that Jesus was born and, and Herod wanted to kill him, right? And then this dream came to Joseph, you've got to get out of here. You need to take your son where? To Egypt. And Matthew uses that section saying, look, at this fulfills what God had said in the very beginning. And you look at the context of Hosea, you go, well, I, I thought he was talking about Israel here. Well, what there, there's a lot of ways you could dive into that with a little bit more detail. But we do know the simple truth. Th- this had a couple meanings here, didn't it? He's referring to his people that he delivered out of Egypt. But he's here deli- talking about Jesus as the ultimate son is the one who's going to be delivered out of Egypt. Okay, but let's move on just for a moment. I hope, hope you're still thinking with me. It really gets down to the question, what is it, if the firstborn is a description of God's son, my son, what does that mean? Now, in the most natural way, we would say if you have more than one child, and let's say you're, and if you have, you would say, uh, this is my firstborn, and this is the one that came after them, right? And it would just be a chronological description of, of your family, who, who, who got born first in your family. But this is, this is really not the, the emphasis in the word. It, in the Greek, it's prototokos, which really should be translated this way or could be translated. He is the preeminent one. He, he is the one of highest importance. He, he, is, he is the one to have first place. In case, you know, we're just trying to impart that, you think that with Jesus, you know, as you think about Israel, which was my son collectively, um, as you think about where this all came from, you know, Isaac had two children. He had, he had, Joseph, he had Jacob and he had who? Esau. Now, which one came out first? Esau. Which one of the, of the sons uh, was the one in which the promised people of, of Israel came. Jacob. In fact, Jacob, 
Jacob's name was turned to Israel. Was he the firstborn chronologically? No, but he became the preeminent one. And that was just a picture here. See, th- these are the ones that are, are at the highest position in, in my heart. And so as we think about this, and of course there's all kinds of questions you're probably going through in your head right here, but the, the, you need to understand the main point here is that when God calls us into relationship with him, we get elevated to that position that we are his preeminent ones. We are the ones that he loves immensely and completely. As you think about it, if you believe that God is the creator and the, and the instigator of all of life, you could say that, that, that every person born is a creation of God. But not everyone that is born is a child of God. In 1 John verse 3, verse 1, it's not in any of your texts this week, but he said, John is right, this is amazing to me that that God would call us to be known as his children. We are all brought into this world by the grace and mercy of God, but, but unless we make that response to him, we are creating his image He loves us dearly. He does not want anyone to perish, but not one of his children, not one of his preeminent ones, not one of his special ones until we cross that line. Uh, Turning your body. Oh, it's interesting. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. This this is so interesting. I never really saw this passage before. It says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and the God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I'm, I'm gonna, if, if the business meeting was this week then, rather than last week, you know what I do? I want to I propose something from the floor. We're going to change the name of our church. It's no longer going to be called Grace Hills Church. It's going to be called the Church of the Firstborn. None of you seem too happy about that. Okay. All right. But, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what the writer of Hebrews says. This is the church of the firstborn. This is the one that we are the apple of his eye. We are the special people that he, he loves us deeply. We're, we're, the, we're the favored ones. Not that he doesn't love everybody and doesn't want anybody to come into that family, but we're the church of the firstborn, which is used in two different ways. Not only Jesus is the firstborn, we're the church of Christ, but also we are the church that are now valued in his heart. Isn't that amazing? But look at it, first, Colossians chapter 1. And this is where I need to run. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. This is what, this is all found out in this whole conversation that God gives Moses to tell Pharaoh, look at, Israel's my son. And, and your son that you favor, it's firstborn to you. If you don't turn to me, that son will die. And isn't that true for everyone who doesn't turn to the uh, firstborn, Jesus? They will die. They'll be separated from God forever. forever. Colossians chapter 1. Go eat popcorn. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church. He says, he, in reference to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And some people who, who really mess with this text, they go, well, see, Jesus can't be God. It says right there that he was first chronologically in being created. 
Well, again, they miss the understanding of the word. The word primarily means preeminent one. That's how it's used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But also, if you just look at the context, for by him, this is Jesus, all things were created. Well, you'd have to get Jesus out of that text for him to be uh, the first in creation because it says all of them, all things were created by him. Well, did he create himself? Or was he always there? Has he always been? Then he goes on, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, or thrones or dominions or rulers. All things have been created through him and for him. The Bible says that God will not share his glory with anyone. And yet it says right here that everything was made through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And again, well, there were other people. Jesus raised people from the dead, right? How could he be the first one chronologically from the dead, if that's what it means, chronologically? No, he is the preeminent one from the dead because he is so much beyond those who, who he gave physical life to or some of his apostles to the raising from the dead because everyone that was raised from the dead by Jesus and the apostles... What happened later on in their life? They all what? Did Jesus ever die again? Of course not, because he's the preeminent one. And then it goes on and says, he is the first place in everything. All right, what's my point here? I spent a lot of time theologically here. I, I talked to you about Christophanes and Theophanes. This is called Christology, which is the study of Christ. Who is he? It's also a little bit about ecclesiology. Who are we? We're the firstborn. Now, some of you, depending upon how you, how you were treating your family, did, did you ever, any of you ever feel that your parents played favorites? Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry for you, Roy. Okay. So um, it, it, I just want to let you know, no, no, all of you are God's favorites. You are the firstborn of God if you know Jesus. The, 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 the ground is level at the cross. None of us are more important than the other person next to us. The only reason I'm on a platform is that you can see me better, okay? There, you know, I could just as soon preach down there, but it's easier to see. There, there's, you know, pastors are not any better than anybody else. We have a role to play, but we're all favored by God. Isn't that amazing? And the reason we're favored by God is because we know the favored one, which is Jesus. That's incredible to me. All right, so what are the lessons? Number one, you know, it, 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 it's never right to be a jerk, or to put it another way. We, 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 the call of God doesn't, doesn't give us a freedom not to be courteous to others, all right? And number two, we need to realize that the Lord will give you all you need to overcome your fears. More, he's going to be with us always. We need to realize that, that it is all about Jesus and being God's family, right? It, it doesn't get more important than that. Okay, quickly, next two points. And this one I have more cross-references, but we're not going to turn to them, all right? Sin is not just doing the wrong things, but not doing the right things. So it's kind of the idea of sin of omission or sin of commission. You say, well, I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything really, really bad. Well, that's great. God's pleased with that. But are you doing anything really, really what? Good. You're not doing the, the wrong things, but are you doing the right things? And so now we have here, this is, you know, I could spend the entire message. I almost thought about, well, this, we'll take Exodus 4 in two Sundays, but... but I don't think we're going to do that. Exodus chapter 4. This is one of the strangest stories in all the Bible. Okay, so he's sending Moses to delete out his people. And then, then something happens. The coronavirus happens, all right? Now it came about at the, the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? Moses just 
been called by God to go to Egypt to deliver his people, and, and, and now something's happening. He's, he's dying. And now it's, it's not, he's dying not because there's something uncontrollable happened just because the world's fallen. It says directly here that God is putting him to death. You think, what in the world? Why would that happen? And then it says, then Zipporah, and Zipporah is his wife, took a flint and cut off her, cut, and cut off her son, a foreskin, and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, that's he being God. At that time, he said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And you go, what in the world is happening here? You're going to take out the person you, you took all that time to call to do what, you're, what, what he's supposed to do? And why is this happening? Well, like I said, we don't have time to go through the cross-references, but, but Moses knew that what, what God had done in his covenant with Abraham. He, he says, uh, it was pretty plain Read in Genesis chapter 17 that if you're going to be my people, I'm going to put my mark upon you. And one of the marks is going to be your male children at, at the eighth day are to be circumcised. Now, Moses had two children, Gershom and Eliezer. And we don't hear anything about them until later on in Exodus chapter 18 and this experience with his wife, which, and by the way, ladies, if you think that you know, the men are always the heroes in the Bible. Let's just, let's just be honest. That's not true. Moses has already been rescued by women in this, in this story of Exodus, right? If his mom and, and sister don't show up, uh, you know, he dies when he's young, you know, because every male Jewish child is supposed to be taken out. So they, they have this elaborate thing where they put him in a wicker basket and take him down the, the, the Nile. And then another lady comes upon, the princess of, of Egypt, and she gets enamored with Moses, and she saves him. So he's already dead unless women come into his life, right? And now we have Zippor, and he says that God, and, and God is pretty good at accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, okay? And God was obviously giving Moses a lesson here. But, he, but God's putting him, is giving him something that he's going to be put to death. And his wife saves him. And what is it? Well, what had happened is that Moses thought it's, it's okay to, as you're following God, to follow basically what he's doing, but you can kind of go to the left or the right. And he says, you know, this circumcision thing, particularly in Midian, and even maybe with my wife, it's, it's not particularly popular. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't like this custom, or, or, or I've gotten some opposition. We don't know why. We could, all we would do is impose ourselves on the story. But, but what he is saying here, he, he hadn't been obedient to God. And now God had called him to lead his people to follow after God fully and completely. And here the one who was going to be leading, what is he not doing? He's not following God and the circumcision of the issue. And he said, look, it, I'm going to call your people to fully identify with me, and you're not even doing it in your family. And there's so many devotional thoughts we could say here as we, as we think about doing things, you know, right, is that, you know, where, where, does, where, does, where does our focus need to begin with as we think about spiritual priorities? Number one, and, and I've read this in, in secular leadership books, they said the most important uh, person a leader needs to lead is himself, right? Isn't that right? Because if you're not leading yourself, why, would other, why should other people follow you? 
And then as you think about spiritually, you need to make sure your heart is right, and then you need to make sure your family's lives are right. And then after that happens, then, then you need to spread it out of people around you. It starts first in the home, doesn't it? God wants our lives to be right. He wants our family's lives to be right. And there's only so much we can control, but do our best there, and then we spread out, right? And, and Moses wasn't doing that. And he knew it, once he got to, to uh, his people, they were saying, wait a minute, what, what are you doing in your relationship with God? So Zipporah figures it out and realizes that, man, if, if I, we don't get this right, then my husband's going to die. And so she circumcises uh, her child. Now, th- there's so many different ways we could go with this. But it does make us examine, you know, what is it in Scripture I already know that I'm not following? What are some things in the Scripture that's clear and, and maybe the culture around me or the people around me say, well, it's okay. And it, it, there's a lot of detail here looking up the cross-references. But God wants his people to live according to his plan. And all of God's commandments are for our good. He's, he's not a killjoy up there, but he's saying, look, at, if you live this way, this is, this is what your life should be all about. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I know this is a long Sunday, but in a, in a few moments, we're going to be taking you know, communion. Maybe I'll, I won't get to the fifth point. I lied already, all right? Maybe I'll state the fifth point. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of concern about the coronavirus, right? And, and I'm not, this is, I don't want to make this a political statement here, but I, I just, and we ought to be people that are concerned about safety and doing things right. Um, I think it was Terry sent me a, an email about a, a mega church that because of the coronavirus, they went to great lengths to make sure none of the bread and the cup could be um, touched by anybody that might have any connection with the coronavirus. And, and I have no problem with that, but look at you can be so concerned about safety issues, you, you can't live, right? I mean, the common flu, I mean, depending upon, you know, I just looked up last week, I mean, last week, yes, between how you want to look at, between 30, 40, some sites said 80,000 people in America died of the flu last year. Throughout the world right now, there are over 12,000 cases of the coronavirus, but Less than 3,000 people have died. And, and, and so we can be so filled with fear that we won't go anywhere, right? We won't do anything. And, and I want you to understand, there, there's another virus that we're, we're going to have opportunity to, to be concerned about, to, to do our due diligence to be safe. And if we start ramping up how we make communion, I have no problem with that. But I'm saying you, you're never going to eliminate things that could be deadly in your life. I just read a statistic. Did you know that the rate of death for pedestrians is at a 30-year high as of this last year in the United States? Over 6,000 people have died walking across the street. So be careful when you go home, all right? All right. Again, I, I want you to be careful. So I don't want you to, uh, but you know there's a communion virus? We've heard the coronavirus. There's a communion virus. The communion virus is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It describes what communion is all about. It's a time where God's people come together and they remember Jesus and what he's done. 
The cup represents his blood, which was poured out for us for the remission of our sins. The bread represents his body, which is broken for us. And then Paul makes a commentary there. He says, oh, oh, by the way, uh, when you take this, make sure you take it in a worthy manner. Now, he's not saying that, that we're sinless when we take it, that we, there's nothing we're struggling with in our own lives. But he said, look, in a sense, you could put practically, don't, don't take it with unconfessed sin. Make sure as far as you are, you're trying to live for God. And then he says, by the way, for those of you who are not doing that, some of you are sick and even asleep. Now, it's not, not those of you today who have been resting your eyes and been sleeping while I've been preaching. I'm not talking about that kind of sleep. He says, some of you have died because you have taken communion and your heart's not right. Some of you are sick because you're, you're, you're taking communion and, and you're not right. Now, God in his great grace and mercy, he doesn't, he doesn't throw sickness at us every time we, we are a little bit unworthy in taking communion. But what he's saying, it could happen. And so there's a communion virus. And, and we want to be safe not only physically, but we want to be safe spiritually. And you look at Moses... At this point, he wasn't safe spiritually. And because of that, God almost decided, hey, I'm going to use somebody else. So let, as we prepare our hearts for a time of remembrance of the Lord, this is our opportunity for us to know him. Say, Lord, I, I want my life right with you. You are so gracious and merciful to me. And I want to be I want to be open with you. As the psalmist said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any anxious thoughts in my life and and lead me in the everlasting way. The point I'm not going to get to is the last one, which is simply as, as Moses gets through this, he goes, he tells his people, and they respond. And when they responded, they responded in community together, but then they responded in worship. Because as we worship God, we obey God. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we pray in the, in the time we have left and as we have opportunity to remember you, might we, might we be open to what your spirit wants to say into our lives so that our lives are right with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.